This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy J, Sean from EP, Sean from Elmwood Park. Uh, Don Lemon has been coined the dumbest man on television by the President of the United States. For those who disagree, listen to this. Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Um, and, and we have this now, and now Donald Trump is going to use it and pervert it, and he's going to have somebody who can stand with him and take pictures. That's him laughing. It's important. He's an attention whore like the president. He's all of a sudden now the, the, the model spokesperson. He's he's the token Negro of the of the Trump administration. This is ridiculous. No one should be taking Kanye West seriously. He's clearly has issues. He's already been hospitalized. Boy, the long knives are off for Kanye West. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so Kanye West is scheduled to have lunch with President Trump today, and he's bringing uh, Jim Brown with him. Um, would uh, Don Lemon like to say that Jim Brown is a Negro who doesn't read books? Does anybody, <laughs> I'd like to see that. Does anybody want to laugh at Jim Brown? Is Jim Brown a serious person uh, who has uh, put the work in over decades to improve conditions for black families in this country? You know, it's interesting to hear the, the scoffing by these windblown teleprompter readers like Don Lemon. And then you hear the voice of experience, Jim Brown, who was interviewed uh, on Fox a few weeks ago. We played it then, but I think in light of his visit to the White House and the focus on Kanye West, um, maybe hearing some reviews from Jim Brown about uh, the plight of black Americans and black families. Well, I'll tell you, the, the greatest thing about America is that we all have our opinions and our thoughts. Nobody is totally correct in everything that they do. I have access to the president, and any time I have access to the president, and he will listen to my thoughts, that's all I can ask of him. And that's what I do. So this president is accessible, and uh, he's different, he's challenging, and uh, he pays attention to what I say. And uh, Jim Brown went on, too, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the whole, you know, what are you going to do, Mr. President, or any politician for the black community, that uh, that dynamic, that paradigm that he sort of rejects. Well, not sort of. So I don't blame him and what his office can produce. I look at what I can produce in the black community and the community at large and all the individuals that I can influence that will work with us to make this a better country. So we should look at ourselves first before we look at the president. Well, I, I am just appalled every time I hear a demand of a call for conformity by um, so-called black liberals who are really black fascists. And what Don Lemon and this panel doesn't like is that Kanye West is not conforming to their demanded scope of political views or the opinion of Donald Trump. Look, so they look, don't like that. I, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think Kanye West should be put on a pedestal as somebody who necessarily has anything important to say. He's, you know, he's he's not uh, kind of 
the problem I think sometimes conservatives have, Republicans have, is to say anybody who is breaking from the orthodoxy of the left, who's black, we should just you know embrace and elevate, and we shouldn't. Uh, and that goes even for those who are conservatives, like Candace Owens. Uh, you know, Candace Owens, who become a YouTube star and she gets a job, and now she's on cable news. Uh, you know, the, the people that should be elevated and whose scholarship should be listened to and read are the Shelby Steeles and the Thomas Souls and the Walter Williams, all the people who laid the foundation for conservatism generally and for uh, black empowerment and enfranchisement and opportunity globally. Uh, so this, the, the, I'm not going to get into this false choice of is Kanye West a great spokesman for Trumpism or Republicans or conservatives or black people. I'm not going to get into that. But it, the mockery of, of from, coming from a Don Lemon and his uh, trained seals on his CNN panels, that's where the focus should be because to me it's the left exposing themselves for who they are yet again. And, um, and if it were one of us, it pretty. would be deemed racist. That well, is, you know, I, I have to say to me, but I, I'm not black, that sounds awful racist to me. The, for, the entire dissertation. For more on the lunch and uh, the cultural import or lack thereof, I'm pleased to be joined by David Hersani, who is a, a writer for TheFederalist.com, nationally syndicated his book, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. We'll get to, the, to, to your book, of course, but I, I just wanted to get your reaction to sort of the, you know, the celebutant aspect of this administration, not different than the celebrity-infused Obama administration in terms of the, inf- the, uh, the, the, the existence of celebrity, but it just uh, occurs differently and it's received differently from the D.C. press corps. Right. I mean, I'm generally, not generally, almost always uninterested in what uh, celebrities have to say about politics or, 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 or ideology or things like that. But, I mean, it seems to me that presidents use that sort of power and use and obviously the entire sort of entertainment complex is where most of it is liberal and activated. You know, they're activists now. So why shouldn't Republicans latch on to people who, who are, are truly, in a sense, brave? I mean, it, it's kind of brave to stand apart from all, all the people you work with and everyone around you uh, who take positions and it's, you know, that, are, that, are, that aren't, you know, in, in lockstep with everyone else. So... Um, I wouldn't take it too seriously, but I, I think obviously the reaction and the way the dismissiveness and sneering that these people do towards anyone who doesn't think like them is, is, tells us a lot about who they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just more, to, to me, exposure for the mob. And do you want to be part of this mob that silences or mocks those with whom they disagree? Uh, I think that's telling. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just just uh, switching to your book, First Freedom. I want to get to that. Um, the the title is uh, really intriguing to me because it recalls to mind the uh, formulation Charlton Heston used to offer all the time when he was the NRA's president, which is that uh, without the Second Amendment, you don't have a First Amendment. Uh, all of those fundamental rights to, of thought and faith and speech. Uh, and so, uh, First Freedom, your book that uh, dissects the history of the gun in American life, particularly in this season, where uh, if you're uh, a conservative Republican, you're getting, in a swing district, you're getting a lot of males uh, against you saying you're a toady of the uh, NRA, and that's supposed to be bad. 
so that the uh, thought for the title of the book and the importance of uh, understanding the gun in American life uh, in uh, the context of our politics. Right. And first freedom uh, does it is that it, you know, I use that formulation that the other rights don't exist. Obviously, in Lexington and Concord, those men were fighting to protect a cache of weapons. They weren't worried about, you know, some other far-flung issue or whatnot. But more than that, I think also people don't understand that the right to defend yourself and your property, um, your family, yourself, is the key to all other rights in different ways. It goes back farther in, in, in Britain than, than the right to freedom of religion, certainly, and freedom of speech even. Um, you can't have a republic, you can't have America without people being able to protect their, themselves and their property. It's the most individual of rights, uh, not relying on the state for protection but yourself. So for all those reasons, and also I think the way you think about the Second Amendment, which not, it's not to say that you can't have any rules or regulations to govern safety, but if you don't believe that people should have that right, it tells us a lot, I think, about your views of freedom in general. You know, David, I, uh, we're talking to you, and we're from, you know, Chicago, Illinois, which has the most onerous gun rules and regulations, I think, uh, among, the, among California and New York. We're right up there with them. And uh, I've lived here for 50 years. Now, before I'm licensed now, they came up, you know, where they came into reality where they made it uh, kind of difficult for us to, to have the concealed carry and the firearm owner card. But I... Actually, I was talking about this earlier in the show. I practiced my right earlier. I considered it to be a constitutional carry. Isn't it that any law that inhibits me from doing that is really a violation of my unalienable right? I mean, do, are there not grounds to eliminate all of these rules and regulations based on my unalienable right to constantly protect myself? Well, I think so. I mean, I wrote the book because I, I think people don't understand the long history of this and how we got to this point where there's been a revisionism of history first and then legality second of what it means to be able to carry a gun or to, to, to protect oneself. So uh, it wasn't until the 1930s that gun control, federal gun control laws even showed up. And, it, and then from then on, people kept revising history to make it seem like you would have to ask the state for permission to carry a gun when the opposite is true. It limits the government from, from telling you you can't have one. So I think you are right, and I think that's why one of the reasons, at least abortion being the other, why the left is so you know, worked up and, and hysterical about the Supreme Court right now, because Heller was an important decision, and, uh, and you know, he's going to most likely uphold that decision, so, or maybe even expand that freedom properly. So I think that those are all, you know, the reasons why we are where we are. Well, and, and the other thing, too, this points up and the timeliness of your book is despite the McDonald and the Heller decisions, I mean, you have a, a former Supreme Court justice and John Paul Stevens recently in the wake of the Parkland shooting saying we should rescind the Second Amendment. So the idea that, uh, you know, kind of settled law is settled law, uh, not to the left, it isn't. No, only abortion and gay marriage are settled. Everything else is up for grabs. And uh, the Second Amendment, um, at least he's honest about a, a process in which you could get rid of the Second Amendment if you like. But, uh, but right now it's part of the Constitution. And in, in many ways, its history goes, you know, is, is deeper than any other of the rights we have. Not just, you know, not just as, as, a, as a matter of politics or war or even self-defense, but as a matter of survival, of commerce, 
there's a reason we have a, a very unique gun culture, and it's not just ideological. And I, you know, I hope that people, I think if people understood that better, better the debate would be uh, perhaps elevated, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm skeptical that this debate will ever be elevated again. Well, I mean, uh, you know, don't be so despondent. You know, you got to have hope. I mean, that's one of Lou Holtz's four things that everybody must have in their lives. You have to hope for something. So hope for elevated discourse. And yeah. and, it, and it seems to me um, your book also addresses this uh, saw of the left that uh, you just mentioned our our culture or our gun culture. Uh, in Europe and other countries around the world, they don't have this incident of private gun ownership. They don't have the incidence of uh, gun crime that we do in America. So we should be mirroring our culture uh, after those cultures where there is less private gun ownership and less uh, gun violence. And you respond to that with the sort of backstory on how guns have preserved these uh, important religious and economic and cultural institutions in this country that the other that those other countries don't have either. Right. I mean, you could take a super narrow view of history, and people like to do that and say, "Hey, Denmark has low gun. You know, there are no gun crimes in Denmark. Well, or in Germany, for instance, which is not a good example. But um, I think you need to take a broad look at history when you talk about self-defense and rights. I'm not saying that Americans are going to rise up against the government anytime soon, or should they? Um, but history is a continuum, and there are many things going on, and guns aren't just about fighting tyranny, though that's part of it. It's about personal, uh, you know, your personal property and life, and you shouldn't have to defend on the state all, depend on the state all the time and all those things. Now, um, Europe has a very shady and, and uh, history when it comes to individual rights, and that goes for guns as well. Um, so there are some countries that have some gun culture, Switzerland and others, but generally no, because they don't have the traditions we have, that we're not just forged by ideology, but by by our, our life, meaning, you know, people have been moving west from the beginning of first landing here. When the pilgrims land here, arrows started falling on their heads. They needed guns to defend themselves and to survive through hunting, so, and to protect themselves against the French and Spanish and others, so they immediately understood uh, the necessity of that right and how important it was, and then it was just uh, ingrained in our Constitution. I mean, I don't know that that happens. I don't know that any other Constitution has that right. Well, right, and I mean, you know, the Magna Carta notwithstanding, I mean, in, in Britain, uh, no First Amendment protections. You know, there's a lot of people in prison for things they tweeted uh, in the U.K., so in terms of adopting the culture of uh, the Western European countries, you know, be careful uh, just exactly what you're adopting uh, as proposed by the left. He is David Harsani. The book is First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun, and you can always get his writings at thefederalist.com as well. David, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And he joined us on the turnkey.pro answer line. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.